All right. As most of you, as most of you know, we have uh, concluded our study of Titus, which is a New Testament letter that was authored by the Apostle Paul and directed to Titus, who was his trusted co-worker, Paul's trusted co-worker in the gospel ministry. And that letter was a letter that dealt with matters concerning the local Christian churches existing at the time on a large island in the Mediterranean Sea called Crete. Okay. Today, we are going to begin looking at another New Testament letter authored by the Apostle Paul. This one, though, directed to the members of the Christian church, singular, that existed in a city called Philippi, a city located about 400 miles or so uh, directly north of the island of Crete in the region known as Macedonia. So if you were to, if you could fly, you could fly about 400 miles due north from Crete and you would hit Philippi. This church in Philippi that Paul uh, wrote to was actually the first church uh, that Paul planted in the region of Macedonia during one of his missionary journeys. And it occurred, uh, that planting, that or establishment of that church there in Philippi occurred uh, approximately about 10 years prior 10 years or so, prior to him writing this letter uh, that we have labeled Philippians. The events surrounding that planting and that establishment uh, of the church in Philippi, uh, his visit there on his missionary journey, those events are recorded for us in Acts 16. Acts 16, specifically verses 11 through 40. And I was going to read that section uh, for us this morning, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to not do that. I just ask one thing. Would you, would you promise me that you'll read Acts 16, 11 through 40 before next Sunday? I can't go on unless you promise that. Okay, so I'm going to ask you that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage you, okay? I'm going to encourage you. I don't want you to make a promise you're not willing to keep, but I want to encourage you to read Acts 16, 11 through 40 on your own. It's just helpful, and it also sets up the context and lets you know how this church began. There's some fascinating uh, stories there, and maybe some things you're familiar with, but you maybe didn't connect it with the fact that this is when Paul planted the church. And now he's writing to that very church about 10 years later. He had been back a few more times after the planting, but it's been probably four or five years since he's been, as far as we know, in Philippi. But 10 years later now, uh, since he first was there and, and preached the gospel there, and, and people came to Christ, and a church was born there. Okay? So, this morning, all I'm going to do is just, it's really basic. I'm going to introduce you to the book. We'll, we'll get into it verse by verse like we normally do beginning next week. But I just want to introduce it to you, and 
I'm going to do that just by talking about some of the major themes that we find here. Not all of them, but the most important ones, I think, probably. And um, so I want to do that this morning. What are some of the themes that we find in this letter to the church in Philippi? Well, the first one, the first one, beloved, if you're not there, I would encourage you to to open to Philippians. Uh, There'll be the passages that we'll look at as we look at these themes. They'll show up on um, the the slot, the, what is that called? My goodness, projector? That's not what it's, projector screen, okay, wow. Sorry, beloved, I'm sorry. Um, Anyway, they'll show up there, but you can follow along too, maybe make some notes if you're that kind of person you make notes in your Bibles as we talk about these things. But the first theme, a major theme that we find, or at least I want to discuss with you, is that of joy. Joy. I could use some joy. How about you? So I thought it would be a good letter for us to to work through. This is a joyful letter. It's not a letter that um, and, and when I say it's a joyful letter, it's not a letter that teaches believers about joy or how to have joy, but rather uh, it's a letter, as one person puts it, that exudes a joyful spirit. It exudes a joyful spirit. Joy just oozes uh, from each chapter and from, from the writer uh, who is the uh, Apostle Paul, as I said earlier. And let me just show you a, a few, a sampling of that, okay? And that's kind of how we'll do it. We're going to look at, and I'll just tell you, we're just going to look at three major themes, and we'll take a sampling of those themes, and I'll make some comments for today. And then we'll get into the nitty-gritty and all the details, and they're wonderful details, next week. But beginning with Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, there we read, Right in the beginning of the letter, Paul writing to the church in Philippi, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. And that's a great verse, by the way. I don't know if you see, you know, you can put that like in a greeting card or something like that. Philippians 1, 3, but don't write it out. And then the person looks it up and they go, aw. You know, it's really nice. But but in his context, it's written, you know, you can use it for other things, sure. But it's, it's written to the church, specifically a particular church. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Again, in Philippians 2.2, Paul writes, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Again, in Philippians 2.17, this time in a a different translation, the New American Standard Bible, it says, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. And then in the final chapter, there's only four chapters in this letter, at least that's how it's broken up in our English Bibles, in Philippians 4.1, he says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And then a few verses later in the same chapter, using the NET translation, he writes, I have great joy in the Lord, because now at last you have again expressed your concern for me. 
Now, I know you were concerned before, but had no opportunity to do anything. And we'll get into the, some of the details certainly later on. But that, but that Paul is quite joyful about this church is, is evident, right? We just looked at a sampling of that. It's evident. He is joyful. But what is it exactly that stands behind his joy? What stands behind his joy? There were some hints there, even in the reading. But I'll just I'll jump right to the answer for you. What stands behind Paul's joy concerning this church is the church's participation and partnership in the gospel, in the gospel, in advancing the gospel, in proclaiming the gospel, in striving to live out the gospel, in working hard to make the gospel known and supporting those who are are given to that ministry, such as Paul. That's where his joy is coming from. This church, this sweet church there in Philippi, was faithful in making the gospel known and went out of their way, if you will, to support Paul in his ministry to advance that gospel, to plant churches, to preach Christ. That's what's behind Paul's joy. We see that when we look back now at some of those verses or just other verses, now going back again through Philippians 1, what stands behind Paul's joy? It's these very things I just told you. In verse 3 of chapter 1, I read this earlier, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. And then verse 5, because... Here's why, of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So, I told you all that about the planting of the church and the the time period, just so that you understand what that means. From the first day until now, it's not a week, two weeks, ten years at least. From the first day, and if you go back and read that section in Acts that I encourage you to read, you'll see that, but there's this this partnership. They're partnering with Paul in his gospel ministry and partnering with Paul in making the gospel the main thing about them, just as Paul, for Paul, it was the main thing. And they've been doing this not for a week, not for two weeks, but really for a decade, for a decade. They're faithful. It's a faithful church and faithful to what matters most, the gospel. In Philippians 1, 7, Paul says, it is right for me, just a few verses later, after all these wonderful, kind, uh, heartwarming words about this church, it is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. Why? For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment, we'll get to that in a second, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. I live to defend and to confirm and to make known the gospel, and you too have partnered with me in these things. In the end of the, the letter, he closes, or near the close of the letter, he says in chapter 4, verse 15, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. 
Even in Thessalonica, another city where he was planting churches, you sent me help for my needs once and again. This church has made it their mission to support the gospel in, in whatever way they can. And, and it is in this way, by supporting Paul, that Paul finds such great gratitude, has such great gratitude and thankfulness. They are like-minded with Paul. They want to see the gospel advance. See the gospel advance. The gospel, beloved, and its progress, which is another major theme of this letter, which we'll get to in a second. That's the second one. The gospel and its advance was of the greatest importance to the Apostle Paul. If you'll read through the New Testament letters that he has authored, you, you couldn't walk away not understanding that if you would read through them all. Again and again, every letter you go to, it's the same thing. That's what drives him. That's what he's living his life for. And he desires that the churches that he plants also would be as fired up, if you will, and as devoted, maybe would be a better word, and faithful to that very cause, advancing the gospel, making it known. Helping the church grow in the, in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ that they might be even better gospel advancers. But it was of the greatest importance to the Apostle Paul, and it was also to the church that he planted there in Philippi. And, and I'll just say this, it is my hope and prayer that, that it would be as well for all of us, for all the, the, the men and women who make up Summit the gospel would be of the greatest importance, the, the advancing of it, the progress of it. That as we think about what's important here at Summit, that would be the first thing that we're thinking about. How does this contribute? How does this program, how does this activity, how does this thing that we do, how is it contributing to not our happiness, or making us feel nice, or you know anything like that. But first and foremost, how does it contribute to the advance of the gospel? And how can we do it more and better? And how does my home, how does my home contribute to the advance of the gospel? How does my parenting, how does my relationships with my, or relationship, I should say, with my spouse, no plural there, <laughs> that would get weird. How does my relationship with my spouse, how does my life, how does my life at work, how is it advancing the gospel? And, and, and how can I be better at that? We, we see, we really see this focus, this intense focus on the gospel in the very first chapter. Paul's intense focus on the gospel and seeing it go forth. In the very first chapter in Philippians 1.12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I'm excited to get to that section. But what had happened to Paul? What had happened? Well, if you don't know, he had been imprisoned again for preaching the gospel. Now, the imprisonment was not like in a, in this case, was not in a jail cell. By the way, read Acts, because he did get thrown in a jail cell in there when he was there. I mean, it's just so, it's just, it's just so fascinating. There in Acts, when he first planned the church, he ended up thrown up in, thrown up, thrown in prison. 
But here we go again 10 years later writing the letter, and guess what? He's writing from prison. A little bit different, not a jail cell, but he was under house arrest. He was under house arrest. He was guarded by soldiers. He was allowed to receive visitors, which allowed him to preach the gospel and to teach and instruct in the gospel. And so it was his, the traditional view was what imprisonment was this? It was his first Roman imprisonment between AD 60 and 62. He was in Philippian or Philippi originally 49, 49 right around there AD. So as I said, about 10 years we don't know exactly what time, maybe wrote towards the end of his first imprisonment in Rome. And I say first because there was a second one, but he never got out of that one. But what mattered most to Paul, beloved, what mattered most to Paul, and we see it here in this verse, Philippians 1.12, was the progress of the gospel. So Paul is saying, in effect, listen, because they're concerned for Paul. We'll get to that. They're concerned. This is, this is, they, they understand that he's in prison. They're, they've sent help. We'll get to that in a second. But what, what mattered most to Paul was the progress of the gospel. So he's saying, in effect, it's all good, brothers. It's all good. Despite my imprisonment, the progress of the gospel was an even greater reality. And we'll see that as we look at the verses that follow, verses 13 and 14. We won't look at that today. But that is what matters most. It's not me. That's not what matters most. Not my unpleasant and difficult circumstances. That's not what matters most. Not the loss of my freedom. That's not what matters most. But here's what matters most. That the message of God our Savior, the message of the cross, the message of the conquering Christ continues to advance. That's what that's saying. I want you to know, brothers... Don't worry that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So all is good. He's in prison. He's, in, he's confined. He's confined. He's lost his freedom. He cannot just go to 7-Eleven in the middle of the night and get some snacks. You know what I'm saying? And there was no like delivery of stuff or anything like that. He's stuck there. So while he's not being beaten, he's still lost his freedom. And he doesn't know. He's hoping to get out, but he doesn't know how long he'll be there at this point. But he doesn't, maybe I shouldn't say he doesn't care. Of course, he would like to have his freedom because he would, you know what he would do if he had his freedom? He'd maximize the advancing of the gospel, right? But he's okay because even in these difficult circumstances, he's doing what he believes matters most, making the gospel known. That's where, I, that's where I hope we could get. That that is what would matter most to us. And then that if it matters most, it'll show up. You know, I was just even thinking, a dear brother was telling me, you know, uh, that he, you know, that his growth group has kind of, you know, wrestled a little bit because the attendance has been kind of low. And we were studying a book just to kind of make application of this. We were studying a book, Real Change. Real change in our growth group. It's finished now. Well, for most of us, it's, we've completed the study. Um, and I, I don't know why that particular growth group didn't have great attendance. But real change, the idea of real change is becoming, actually learning how a Christian becomes more like Christ, right? Learns how to change course so that they stop sinning 
and, um, or sin less, I should say, and begin to manifest the fruit of the Spirit in their life, which is all very important to the advance of the gospel. Okay? So if, if advancing the gospel, and then you learn that in, to, in order to advance the gospel, not only do I need to speak it, I need to tell people about it, who it's about, what he did, but I also need to demonstrate the power of the gospel by my changed life, and so I need instruction about how to change, not just so that my life could be easier, but that first and foremost, I might be a very solid and strong testifier to the power that the gospel is, that it, and the truth that it is, that it actually can transform human lives, that the, the dog, or how do they say it, the dog never how do they say that? The leopard never changes his spots or something like that. Basically, the idea, people never change. People never change. Have you heard that? Have you heard that? And that's really kind of the world says that. No, the gospel says, no, no, on their own they don't, but God can change them. He can change them through the power of the gospel, through the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit that he graciously gives to all those who call upon Jesus as Lord and Savior. Right, but they need to see that. And so, once I start thinking about that, if we, if it really was of utmost importance, then I think, I think, then I would move heaven and earth to 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 take advantage of the things that the church might be offering in order to help me be a better testifier to the reality of Jesus Christ and His power and the glory that the gospel is. You see, but if other things are of utmost importance, like you know my personal time or you know, other things I need to do or whatever, then yeah, you'll always find a reason to blow off church activities or instruction. or te- You'll always do that. You'll always do that because it's just not of utmost importance. But if it is of utmost importance, then it won't matter. You'll make a way. You'll find a way. You'll be here. You'll be reading your Bible. See, the issue isn't I just need to try harder. The issue is it's, it's telling you something about your heart. It, the gospel is not of the utmost importance if, if, you so easily neglect the very means that God has provided to really make the gospel the most important thing in your life and advance it in your circles of influence. That's the truth. That's the truth. As I told, as I told, uh, as I told uh, growth group leaders many times before who are struggling, they're like, why don't people show up? And some, sometimes it's legitimate, you know, sick kids, stuff like that. But a lot of times it's really not. They just, they just don't show up because it's not that important. And it's not that important because maybe they don't understand the connection. We're teaching you these things. We're instructing you in these things so that you can be a, a better partner in the gospel. That, so that you can be a better witness to your neighbors of the power of the gospel. That's why we're instructing you in these things. They're carefully thought out and carefully selected with that in mind. I, I, I never stop and go, I just wonder what people would like. I honestly don't care. I, I don't. I don't care. I mean, that sounds harsh. I care, but it, I care more about what God likes. And then I hope that you will like what God likes. But even if you don't for a while, or maybe it'll take you a while, I'm still going to try, and as a leadership, try to give you what God likes and wants and commands. You see where I'm going with all that? Oh, anyway, I never finished my... I said, 
I tell, you know, the, I say, look, brother, I've said this to him and others, people will always make time for what's important to them. They will. So maybe you don't understand the importance of it. And maybe this letter will help you understand the importance that the gospel is, and it should be, that it should be in each and every one of our lives. In each and every one of our lives. I have no idea. I totally got off track there. Oh, so it was now. So now, just we're still on that theme, the gospel. It was during uh, Paul's imprisonment in Rome, this first one, that the church of Philippi, learning of what had happened, sent one of their members, Epaphroditus, to minister to the apostle Paul, right? But again, just understand, it's not like, it was because of their partnership in the gospel, their desire to see it go forth, that they send help. It's not just simply, we like Paul, he's a nice guy, right? And we'd like to make things more comfortable for him. It's, it wasn't first and foremost about that. That's not what I would say. I would say it's first and foremost about helping this man so that he can stay the course. What course? Preaching the gospel and planting churches, right? They want to encourage him. Um, so that's what it was about, first and foremost. So you see that in Philippians 2, 25 and 26, the sending of Epaphroditus uh, to help Paul. It's one of the reasons that Paul, again, he's expressing his gratitude. This church just over and over again shows uh, its love, not just for Paul, but love for the gospel. And so they're supporting that in a number of ways. He says in verse 25, I have thought, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow workers, because he's with Paul at this point, ministering to him, and fellow soldier. There's that terminology again, soldier. He's fighting the good fight, fighting for the sake of the gospel. And then he says, and your messenger, that is the church in Philippi, and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all. He misses his church body, his church family, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. And indeed, he was ill. He became very ill. And in fact, in, in the verse 30, in one translation, it says, Paul says this, he almost died for the work of Christ because of his illness and his his desire to, regardless of his illness, to minister to Paul, to help Paul in his work, to encourage him. It says he put his life in danger to make up for the help you couldn't give me. Meaning they couldn't give it to him because, as one translation says, he put his life in danger doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. Right? There in Philippi, he's in Rome, right? So they sent one of their own. And these are no easy trips. It's not like they hop on Southwest or, you know what I mean? Like you're giving up. I mean, just, I mean, it, we just need to always try to go back and remember the historical context. I mean, things would have to have been set aside in Epaphroditus' life and others would have been impacted by the sacrifice that he'd have to make to travel very far. And, and, and just the dangers that went along with traveling in the ancient world. I mean, there, it was a good, you know, shot chance that you may not make it or you'd be assaulted along the way. I mean... So all of that was taken into consideration, and yet he went, and even sick, he stays, and he's helping, and word gets back, and the church is worried, as you know, and anyway. But all of it, because, listen, when the gospel becomes the main thing, then there isn't anything that is so valuable that you wouldn't lay it down for the sake of the gospel, when it becomes utmost importance, when it, when it reaches the level of importance that it should have in your life. There really isn't anything that you 
shouldn't be willing to sacrifice or set aside for the sake of the gospel, including your own pride and stubbornness and including your own comfort. It's that important. So I, I think God's doing a work in all of our lives that hopefully he's bringing us along and just understanding how important it really is. And thanks to the arrival of Epaphroditus, Paul was, again, not only ministered to and helped out, but he was also brought up to date with news about the church. And as a result, Paul addresses certain matters in this letter that were made known to him. So you get the idea. Here's Paul. He's in prison. He's still ministering. The gospel's still going forth. I can't, you know, when we get to that section, it's just beautiful. And, and so he's joyful. He's rejoicing. Yeah, so, so what? I'm confined. I'm locked up. But pfft. I'm still able to preach. I'm still making him known. Church in Philippi, they're doing their work, but they hear that they're this dear one who planted the church there in Philippi is locked up again, and they want to send him help, and so they, they, they give up one of their own. He comes, and he's ministering to him. But at the same time, he's obviously going to say, how's the church going? How are things going? It's been a while, at least probably five years now since his last visit to the area. How are things going? And again, just think of it. No, no email, no mail. I mean, not really. No, you know, no phone, nothing. So this is kind of what you're limited to. And so he tells him, and now this letter comes back. And so he's just thanking them. He's grateful. It's filled with joy. But he, he's heard some things. He's heard some things about this good church who is a partner with him in the gospel ministry, a, a wonderful partner. And so that becomes uh, one of the themes that, that Paul addresses or that, that shows up in the letter. And I'm skipping a little bit, brother, so try to stay with me uh, if you can. But you have this theme of joy. It's, so, it's, it's oozing joy. You have this theme of the gospel. It's all throughout it. We'll look at it again and again in each chapter its advance, its progress, uh, the goodness that it is. And again, skipping some of this stuff that we may, that we'll look at again at some point. But the third major theme uh, was the issue of unity. The issue of unity. Unity within the church. So Paul's heard some things. And um, so he addresses some things that are of a concern to him. And, and again, unity, it's, it's the idea of having the same attitude and, and same mind as, as a body, as a body of believers. Uh, Paul is concerned about the opposite of unity would be disunity, disharmony. And, and remember, and here's the thing, beloved, the issue is not like, oh, you know what, there needs to be harmony there in that church, or there needs, they need to be careful that, they don't, that there's not a disruption to the harmony in the church, because after all, harmony is just really nice. You know, it's nice. When you're living in unity, it's peaceful. That's not, that's true, but that's not really what's, that's not really the concern. The concern is, if there is a lack of unity in the local body there in Philippi, if there's a lack of harmony, if they are not of the same mind and same attitude, 
that will be a disruption to the advance of the gospel. That will be problematic for the gospel. That will hinder the very work that they've been doing. That's the issue. So, there were apparently some conflicts within the church community, the local body. Now, I know this will be hard for us to understand because there's never been any conflicts here. Said tongue-in-cheek with sarcasm. But there were apparently some conflicts within the church community, and these conflicts could very well lead to division within the church. This is implied, and division in the church would mean a church that has lost its way and its main focus because they're arguing and disputing about things that they shouldn't be arguing and disputing about. They're devoting their passions and their time to things other than the most important thing, which is advancing the gospel. This is a good church, but even a good church. And beloved, I, I said to you, you know, when we finished Titus, right? I don't remember what the, la- the title of the, the last message was. Like, but anyway, I don't remember keeping what, what matters most or something like that. You don't either. I know you're looking at me. Don't worry about it. It's okay. You don't have to know that, Thomas, to be a good man. You don't have to know the title of the last sermon, and neither do you. But I talked to you about diversion tactics. Right? The enemy, I, 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 I want you to understand, if you don't, but I want to keep telling you, the enemy of God and of the church, Satan, is constantly working to take the church over here, over there, to split it up, to cause division. He works in all kinds of ways to move them off the main thing, advancing the gospel. And when I say advancing the gospel, it doesn't just include going and telling people about Jesus, but advancing it even in your own homes and in your own communities by living out and striving to live out the gospel so that people will see and be led to ask about what is going on in this changed, transformed person's life. They are unlike anybody else I know. See, So Satan works. This is why disruptions of marriages, disruptions of, of parenting and children, disruptions at work, It has one aim, one focus. Take them off course. Get them distracted. Get them doing anything else. In fact, Satan, I'll just tell you, would be more than happy for you to have endless Bible studies as long as it didn't result in you preaching the gospel and living it out. So there were some conflicts within the church community, and these conflicts, as I said, could lead to division with the church. And this is implied in chapter 2, where he says, and I read verse 2 to you earlier, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. And then he says, and he wouldn't say this just to say it, do nothing, church, from selfish ambition, or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves and your preferences and and your desires. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also of the interests of others. 
And then again, in chapter 2, a few verses later, do all things without grumbling. Another translation, complaining. He's talking to the church. Or disputing, arguing. And I would call this needless arguing. Wrong kind of arguing. You know? I mean, look, if, you, if someone's, you know, we're having a discussion and you all of a sudden want to tell me that Jesus Christ is not God, we're going to have an argument about that. And it's a needful argument. But there are so many needless arguments that take place that do nothing to help the body and to advance the cause of Christ. I personally witnessed it. And maybe you have too, and, and here it is. Something's going on there. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish. That's a high calling and impossible apart from the work of Christ in your life, but not just that work, that you're pursuing that work with all of your might, that you are living for that, that you would be ble without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And beloved, that's what he said of the generation in first century, right? Man, just place that label right here, right now. It fits just as well. Among whom you shine as lights in the world, or at least among whom we should be shining as lights in the world. Why? That those in the darkness might see the light and be drawn to the light and come to the light who is Christ. And then in Philippians 4, 2, at the very end, he says, I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree. To agree with each other, one translation. To live in harmony, another translation. To be of the same mind. To agree in the Lord. Beloved, can you imagine being called out like that? I mean, you know, the way the church is today, they'd leave. I cannot believe, I cannot believe he put my name in the letter and called me out like that in front of everyone. Is that true or no? Yeah, it's a, they'd be gone. They'd be like, how dare you? But, um, wow. And on top of that, these poor ladies, I don't think they knew that this would be preserved for thousands of years and into <laughs> eternity. Anyway... We don't, we'll get there. We don't know what it's about because Paul doesn't tell us something's going on. If you take it all together, there's disunity. There's, there's, there's seeds of disunity and there's a problem. And these ladies are not just your normal, like, they show up every once in a while. We'll learn that these are like leading women in the church. We're in some kind of dispute. One author says this, I'm not going to close here, but clearly, he says, one commentator, clearly the problem of disunity in the church in Philippi was high on Paul's agenda as he wrote this letter. He addresses the problem not only in his direct appeal to the two women who are in conflict, but also throughout the letter in his denunciations of envy, rivalry, selfish ambition, vain conceit, grumbling, and arguing, and in his challenges to be one in spirit and of one mind. 
Above all, Paul's sense of urgency as he attends to the problem of disunity comes from his commitment to defending and confirming the gospel, as he said in chapter 1, verse 7. The author goes on to say, the integrity of the gospel is negated by disunity in the church. And while Paul works to advance the gospel, even there in prison, he does not want disunity in the church to ruin the advance of the gospel in Philippi, because that is what matters most. Paul understood that disunity in this church, or any church for that matter, which is why I believe the Holy Spirit included it in the collection that we call Scripture, would threaten the progress of the gospel, and it does. You know, you've heard these stories about churches splitting over the color of carpet. Beloved, those aren't made-up stories. I wish they were. And that's the most ridiculous. I mean, that's like a way over. Are you kidding me? No, I wish, I wish, I wish. But we're not talking about the color of the carpet. We're talking about much more important things. Are you? I mean, in the end, is it, are we talking about how to better advance the gospel? How to better put it into our people's minds? How to better equip them for that cause? Help them better to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus? How to, to soak them in the scriptures better, better, better? Is that what we're talking about? Not just so that they can be filled with the scriptures, but that then the scriptures would ooze out of them, transform their life, and be made known to others that they might come to Christ? Is that what we're talking about? There's a phrase, united we stand, divided we fall. Right? That's used all over the place. United we stand, divided we fall. A similar phrase appears in the New Testament where Jesus says, and if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. My hope in going through this letter is that Summit, this little local body here in Fontana, would grow to be a church that would bring our great God great joy because we have made it our heart's utmost desire and our constant habit to advance the gospel both in our lives and by our lives and by our lips, both in word and in deed, and that we would always work hard, all of us, to not let anything get in the way of that mission. Father in heaven, I thank you for today, and I thank you for your word, and I thank you for this letter that, Father, you have included in the canon of Scripture that is there for us and for your people going forward, that we may know these things and be transformed by these things and be made aware of these things and alerted to these things, that we might be careful to follow after them and learn from them, Father. I look forward to all that the book, the letter of Philippians will, uh, will bring to us and uh, how it might transform and change us as a church body so that we might truly honor you and honor you better, Father. That's our heart's desire. Ask your blessing on all that are here, all that are away, Father, all the families and the events that will occur later this afternoon as people celebrate their mothers. It's in Christ's name I pray.